This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. The Olympics has decided to ban a brand of swim caps that are specifically, there's a UK brand uh, who does swim caps specifically for swimmers with natural black hair. That particular brand of swim cap will not be allowed. So before the Olympic Games in 2020, the World Aquatics Governing Body, also known as FINA, ruled that they wouldn't approve a swimming cap made by um, a company called Solcap. This is Seren Jones, one of the co-founders of the Black Swimming Association. The Black Swimming Association is a charity that aims to get as many people in the black communities to learn how to swim as an essential life-saving skill. So Solcap is a black-owned uh, swim hair company. They make swim caps for diverse, long Afro hair. One of the things that um, they actually made more recently was a swim cap that was specifically for Afro hair. So it was bigger, it fits dreads, it fits weaves, it fits braids, it fits the versatility of black hairstyles. They decided that it's not approved for competing at international levels. This caused a lot of outrage, not only in the aquatics community, but in the black community outside of aquatics as well. For a lot of people, it signified that competitive swimming at the highest level um, is exclusively white and that the governing body aren't interested in branching out and making the sport more diverse and making it you know, welcoming and inclusive, particularly for black communities. It's quite a weird move, you know, because the longer and thicker hair you have as a competitive swimmer, it's actually a disadvantage, right? Because ideally to have short hair and to fit it into a conventional quote-unquote swimming cap means that you're going to be more streamlined which means you're probably going to swim faster so sole cap creating this cap and trying to get it approved by fina isn't actually an advantage to women or men with long thick afro hair because it's making them less streamlined and it's creating more drag in the water so what this message actually says is yeah there might not be a lot of black competitive swimmers at that international level with those hairstyles that, that's fine but it's the message is spreading to like the rest of the aquatic sector to those lower to you know the national levels the regional levels the grassroots it's saying that we don't really see you we don't expect you to get to this standard potentially you, you you're not going to feel welcome what is interesting though is swim england which is the national governing body in england have said that they allow soul cap to be used at competitive swimming competitions in england so that's allowed in this country the scary thing is, is that you're gonna have young girls and boys who might wanna learn how to swim, or even aunties and uncles with, with, with Afro hair who might wanna learn, and they see that it's not welcome to the highest level. So for these kids who are interested in getting into the sport, they might think, well, what's the point? It's kind of that warning that like, yeah, you can do it for fun, but if you wanna take it anywhere else, if you wanna take it above that level of fun, then maybe you should look elsewhere. The ban on swimming caps for Afro hair at the Tokyo Olympics is an example of black hair being overtly discriminated against, even in 2021. It's so upsetting to see this type of discrimination happening so openly 
and it's a sad fact to face that the discrimination of Afro hair is an oppression that the black community continues to fight. However, there are some incredible people out there who are doing the work to improve the representation of Afro hair and to protect black hair. Hi, my name is Leanne Ali, aka your resident podcast queen, and this is episode 8 of Coiled, The Next Generation. In this final episode of this series, I'll be spotlighting those who are paving the way for the future of Afro hair. I'll be speaking to Michelle de Leon, founder of World Afro Day. It's a global day of change, education and celebration of Afro hair and identity. Lekia Lee, founder of Project Embrace. But when you embrace yourself, you know, embracing yourself and everything that you are and everything that makes you who you are, that's the most powerful place that we can be. Selena Boyd, creator of Coco Girl and Coco Boy magazine. That's why I'm so passionate about what I do for children because I don't want them to have scars that will follow them throughout their lives. And Zena Alpha, member of the Halo Collective who is campaigning for the protection of Afro hair. Why is it that it's always such a painful experience for us why can't we just have a, a positive experience and, and why can't we be seen? Because we're, we're seen, but we're totally not seen. So, you guys made it here to the last chapter of my journey. Well, last chapter for now. I mean, when I set out to make this podcast, I wanted to make it for my younger self who did not see the representation of Afro hair, how beautiful it is, how versatile it is, and how much it means to our culture and identity as black people. What's clear is that a lot of your self-perception is developed as a child. And if you're taught to embrace your natural hair and love yourself, as well as see that in the world around you, you'll understand from a young age that all hair is good hair. Michelle de Leon is one of the heroes in this space who is educating not only black children, but all children about Afro hair. So that Afro hair is normalized and accepted and celebrated in society. This is what inspired her to create World Afro Day. I think I was inspired by my daughter. She was in the bathroom one morning singing about her Afro hair. She was singing, she was thanking God for her hair. She was singing she was a princess and she loved her hair. And I was just blown away. I couldn't, I was lying on my bed, literally listening to what I was hearing. My daughter singing about her hair. I was just amazed knowing that I'd never felt that good about my hair at her age. I think she was about eight or nine. And my second thought was, oh, what about the millions of other children who don't feel that way? I really didn't want her to be the only one. And I thought about all the black women who who were struggling still with Afro hair, struggling with their hair, the conversations of struggle, the negative ways that we view our hair and the baggage, you know, the historical baggage that we were still carrying, still exchanging it between ourselves. And I thought, well... If we can talk about all the negative stuff, why not have a day where we can come together and, and just celebrate, start to, to generate all the positive, sharing positive stuff around our hair. Mm. I love that because so many people that we've spoken to 
And a lot of people's journeys kind of start the opposite way. So it's having that negative relationship with your hair that kind of gives us a catalyst to make some change. But I love that your daughter has such a positive relationship with your hair and you just want to amplify that so more children can really have that relationship as well. I think it really goes to show that not everything has to be born out of struggle and we can just do positive mm. things to celebrate our Afro hair. Um, That's true. Talk to me about the very first World Afro Day. What what happened? What did it look like? What was your vision for it? Wow. Sometimes, sometimes I forget how tough it was because it's a while ago. So 2017, if you look up 2017 in the UK, it's called the Year of Terror. Um, bombs were going off all the time. The, you know, we had bombs in London, we had bombs in Manchester. Um, and I decided we we're going to have World Afro Day <laughs> um, in the middle of Westminster during that year. I, I set the date because it was a reaction to a law passed in America against dreadlocks in Alabama. They passed a law saying you don't have to employ someone with dreadlocks, you don't have to promote someone with dreadlocks. And I was outraged by that law. So that's why the date is September the 15th. So the law was passed 2016 and I was like, right, September 15th, 2017, I want to mark that day and say, this is not right. We want to change the way the world treats our hair. So it was just a real journey of faith, not really knowing what does World Afro Day look like? What should it be? How should it be? What should be involved? I didn't know any of that. We didn't know any of it. We kind of made it up as we went along, but we kind of settled on having a world record for children so that they could look up something around their hair and see something positive. So we wanted the world record and we wanted to engage with schools because we knew, we didn't even know from, from a research point of view at that stage, we just knew instinctively that we needed to get in early in schools with young people and change things around. So that's why we created a world record on the first, on the first year. And what was that world record? So it's the largest hair education lesson. Um, we had a consultant um, dermatologist, Dr. Sharon Wong. We had the trichologist, Shirley McDonald. And we wanted to do sort of a more academic based lesson. You know, the differences between different hair types. Why is Afro hair unique? Why is it special? What are the qualities, characteristics of Afro hair? But create an engaging um, an event around creating that world record. World Afro Day made me feel inspired by Afro hair because it's unique and it's just very pretty and I don't want anyone with Afro hair to feel discriminated. Today made me feel beautiful because most of the time I, I feel like I wanted um, other people's hair because my type of hair it can get into a lot of problems. Today made me feel more happy and comfortable with my hair because um, normally I don't really like my hair because it normally gets really tangled um, and it's really hard to comb. So I feel much more happier with my hair. And how has World Afro Day evolved from that to what it is today? Yeah, evolution I think is the right word. There was no, there's not, there was not a blueprint to say what it should be five years time. Uh, each year we kind of 
thought oh what should we do this year and so year two we did um we did the world afro day awards 2018 we also did we did like an, a, an ogilvy advertising campaign um i got invited to the un in 2018 so that was kind of like a breakthrough year and then you know loads of celebrities found out about it in 2018 loads of millions of like um interactions online 2019 was kind of like another pivotal year because we launched the Big Hair Assembly. And again, that's saying, okay, where do we, can we solve it all? Can we do it all? No, we can't. So maybe let's focus on young people. So again, created the Big Hair Assembly to engage schools. And then 2020, we did the top 10 model competition. That was to help young people during lockdown, the pandemic, everything was really tough for them. So we thought, you know, what can we do to help them? And they were able to like send in their little catwalk videos celebrating their hair and asking questions about their hair. And in the end, we took 10 people and gave them a photo shoot, a video shoot. They were in magazines, they were in the news. So, you know, created again, this spotlight on our hair can be celebrated and um, treated with respect and equality. So 2021, massive. The Big Hair Assembly really grew. We've kind of, I think I counted it this morning. We've got something like 192,000 young people and kids signed wow. up from around the world. Yeah, that's incredible. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. So, and that's really, and the weird thing is that is really scratching the surface. It's still only a few hundred schools. You know, we want to be thousands of schools. We want to be millions of children. So we know as exciting as that figure is, we're like, yeah, but that's the beginning. So. Yeah, really exciting. And, and the energy that those events create uh, is really powerful. I learned very quickly from actually doing the event that it really had an appeal to children of all backgrounds. Obviously, I started it with the intention of uplifting black children, mixed race children with Afro hair because they needed that. Um, but because it was a school event, because everyone's invited, I was able to reflect on what they, what other children were benefiting from it. And they were benefiting in the sense of the energy and the positivity of just being involved, but also that empathy and, and, and human connection. Like, you know, if when you share things, something personal about yourself with somebody else, you create bonds and that helps to break down the barriers of discrimination because we don't understand each other we don't know each other's stories we don't know how we feel about things and we know as black people our hair is so personal to us it's so rich with history it's rich with struggle we're trying to make it rich with joy i remember being stopped at the event when i'd finished the first world record and two asian boys stopped me and said this is the best thing we've ever been to and I thought, oh, wow, you know, of all the children of nationalities and genders that were there, two Asian boys stopped me and said that. And obviously I've never forgotten it five years later and I never will forget it. We did something called the World Afro Day Lesson and I went into a predominantly white school and, and taught them about, well, it wasn't me, the teacher taught them various things that we'd put into this lesson. And I remember when they heard that black people were stopped from having getting jobs because of dreadlocks I heard the audible gasp in the room they thought that was shocking it's not shocking to white adults it's not shocking to maybe Asian adults but to white children and Asian children they thought that was shocking that black people were not allowed to have jobs because of their hair and so it's been really rewarding 
because they give you feedback you know i've got comments from from children uh, it just gives you hope because if you thought oh, if they were in charge it would be great you know because they just don't understand why you would deny someone opportunity because of their hair type i think this is incredible because it just goes to show how important it is to properly educate the next generation they are the leaders and the decision makers of the future so if they can grow up with empathy and understanding and that we're all accountable in the fight against racism and discrimination, then the future of our society can look a hell of a lot different to what it looks like now. So I have to salute Michelle because she's helping change the narrative for the future generations. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Someone else that is creating a future where Afro hair is celebrated is Lekki Ali, founder of Project Embrace. I would say Product Embrace is a platform that provides a positive narrative for the natural hair of black children, women and men. It started out as a campaign and the, the idea was to have a billboard campaign. That's how we have always wanted it, but it didn't happen immediately. So Product Embrace, I started it sometime in 2011 but we didn't get our first billboard until 2017 but in the meantime just we're just online and the reason was because i wanted my daughter and girls like her to have something positive or to have a positive representation of their hair because you know in in a world that sees beauty through just one lens which is the eurocentric lens black girls don't see positive representation of themselves so I wanted her to love herself completely and totally because I had gone on a journey where I had to learn to embrace who I am I worked as a broadcast journalist and you know I I knew how stories were formed and how certain stories were made when seen as newsworthy and anything African was only newsworthy when it came from a negative point of view Mm. and I knew how that informed the way that I thought about myself and the way other people thought about me Mm. and so I wanted to change that you know sometimes you just want to do things and you don't really know how big it is or you know oh you don't think oh you're too small to do this it's just that a pain and you just want to get rid of that pain and so I enrolled on an an African um, history course at Goldsmith University and I didn't complete it though but the few months I spent there sort of opened up my eyes to how narratives are formed and how the legacy of you know of slave trade for example and legacy of colonization and that was when there was a sort of like a light bulb moment in me. And I thought, hmm, so this is why I am seeing myself in this way or why other people exactly. see me in this way. This is why I am actually using those painful chemicals to change my hair. I'm like, you don't see white people or, you know, people of other races changing their hair to look like mine. So why should I do that? You know, that's when I just started questioning myself and, and I just looked at myself and said, you know what, I've got to learn because I knew I had to learn loving yourself especially when you've come from that sort of background doesn't happen um automatically we're all born 
loving ourselves, but then, you know, through socialization, we are taught what to love and what not to love. No, honestly, there is so much there that you said that I feel like I've gone through and are having the exact same experience to you and your daughter, because through doing this podcast, it's not until I've started looking at how we got here and the reasons for attitudes towards hair in the UK and Western worlds are rooted in colonialism and it's, it's it's everywhere it's through what we watch on TV it's through who we see in the media and it's from that sort of conditioning where I've or where I learned and accepted that my hair wasn't what was deemed as desirable and because you can change your hair I thought well why can't I just change mine to be straight like everybody else's? But through that whole process, I've neglected how I actually am and what my hair is actually like. And like, very, very similar to you, I'm trying to unlearn that as an adult and that's really, really difficult. It is difficult, it is difficult because it's a habit, you know. And the way we see ourselves, the way we see beauty is a habit and habits are so difficult to change. You get used to seeing beauty in a certain kind of way. When I had my daughter, I didn't want her to go through that same process. However she looks, I wanted her to embrace that so she doesn't allow other people's opinions of how she looks affect her because it affects our mental health, which affects the the kind of choices that we make in life and, and, and how happy we are. And I just didn't want her to go through that. I wanted her to be totally and completely confident. I was very, very cautious and careful of what she watched, but even with that, she still was having this idea that to have straight hair and long hair was preferable. And so I was trying to figure out, so what else is it that we need to do, that we need to change? And that's when I thought, ooh, when we go out, everything else on the streets where we're looking without even realizing is telling us, is telling us a story. And it, billboards do that in a very, very effective way. And so that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to have a campaign where, you know, black women with their natural hair are put on billboards, you know, and that everybody will see it because I felt that everybody needs to see it. We need to change that narrative around Afro-textured hair, not just for black girls and boys, but for white people, yes. for Latino, Chinese, for Asians, for everybody. And I mean, I feel this myself. So surrounding yourself with images that feed your spirit and feed the world that you want to see, I think is really important as well. So this, and this is why representation is so important. Yeah, that's why at Project Base, I just think it's important to keep producing these images. So every year we have the billboard campaign and we we have open auditions. So we don't just, we don't go for like professional models. Mm. It's open to everyone and anyone who would want to come because for we we want to put it out there that we are all unique and all different mm. but our all our, our difference is is worthy of being seen so yeah it's it's just embrace yourself for who you are for how you look you know we we all we all know that we are supposed to be unique beings but at the same time we want to make ourselves like other people though i think our power is in our uniqueness it, it will take a while to embrace it and to live in that power but it's possible and and it takes time but it's possible it's so fitting isn't it project embrace embrace yourself embrace your hair and embrace who you are now if we continue talking about the media when i was a kid one thing i used to consume every single week without fail was magazines 
I remember my favourites were Girl Talk and Miz. That's Miz with two Zs. But um, <laughs> let me tell you, I never once saw a black girl on the front cover of any of these magazines ever. Coco Girl Magazine has entered the chat. I spoke to Selena Boyd, who is the creator and publisher of Coco Girl and Coco Boy magazine. This is why she decided to start her very own magazine for black girls. So Coco Girl magazine started um, because my daughter, probably a year before I started it, was going through some issues at school. And that was, she wanted to have different hair, straight hair. She wanted to be lighter, like me. Yeah, she just wanted to be different to who she was. So I actually did a book first called Coco Girl. And I invited about 29 to 30 girls to come for a day of pampering and then like have a photography session. And this book basically celebrated them, um, affirmed them with different quotes and affirmations going throughout the publication. That was picked up by Channel 5 News and it, you know, had a little bit of um, coverage and, and that was that. You know, a few months later, I'd say it, we had the lockdown and um, I couldn't work. I was a, a childminder. Um, I was told to close my setting. So I had some time on my hands and I thought, right, let's homeschool Faith and let's see what we can do in terms of getting exercise books in the supermarket but also some magazines. I hadn't really bought much magazines for her. And I wanted these magazines to, you know, teach her not only about the world going on around her, but I wanted her to see somebody in this magazine that looked like her because I knew she was struggling with her look. So when I looked on the magazine shelf, I just saw the typical Disney type magazines and also magazines that had no representation at all. I couldn't see anyone or any magazine that talked about her culture. So I said to Faith, right, let's do our own one. You know, mummy used to work as a graphic designer. Let's make our own magazine. And she was like, okay, mummy, but just as long as I'd be on the front cover because you wouldn't let me be on the front cover as the book. I said, fine, daddy can take the pictures. It's locked down. We're going to have a little photo session in our house. And then that was that. We started it. I showed a few friends the front cover and also spoke to a fellow publisher that I had worked with. The fellow publisher rejected the idea, said no one would pick it up. It's not viable. But then my family and friends were like, share it to the world. This is incredible. I created a mini website. I shared it on a basically a website which was just formed because of what happened with the death of George Floyd. So the black owned economy. And literally, this magazine started to just sell just from people seeing the front cover. Um, and then it went viral. The BBC picked it up. Access Hollywood in America picked it up. Uh, Italian TV. It, you know, it was, it, it was going everywhere. And then when people received the magazine, there was a clip that went viral on WhatsApp. People were getting about 15 videos of this same clip of somebody going through the magazine and showing the content of it. What an incredible journey. I mean, it just goes to show that black people aren't a niche audience, like we're sometimes told in the media space. We are a powerful group. We spend, we consume, and we love to see ourselves being represented. As Selena mentioned, she was inspired by her daughter who was having a hard time at school. But before she turned her pain into progress, 
this is what was happening behind the scenes. I think because she went to a school which was in, you know, she was in the same situation I was when I went to school. I was the only black girl in my class. But she was in the, the only black girl in her class, but not making any friends. And I found that shocking because I was a childminder. I'd always offer up my services to the parents in the class. Look, I'd look after your children for free. You know, um, I'm an Ofsted registered childminder and nobody would even pick up that offer. Um, so I knew that it wasn't her problem. It was my problem as well. Um we just wasn't being let in in you know I also offered my services as a singing teacher and to the school and said look can I come in and do some vocal lessons with the children especially my daughter's class I wasn't allowed in um so she felt invisible and she also felt targeted in a way because uh, I just tell you of one incident where I went for a parents evening I was looking at some of the work on the wall and there was one called Year One Display, which is the same year Faith's in. And it only had on this display white children with blonde hair. And then there was an awful cutout and painting of somebody painted really dark with their hair blended in with their skin tone and their lips were red and their, their eyes were white. And when I was looking at it, I was saying to my husband, I'm offended by this. This actually looks like a gollywog. When I was talking to my husband, Faith ran in. She, she was at the book corner and she said, oh, mummy, look, that's me. That's me. My teacher did that. That's me. So I knew that this school was not affirming her. There was no books of representation. But then that display confirmed to me she needed to be removed immediately. So it was all of these things that made her feel even more different. And the school, they weren't celebrating Black History Month. Actually, tell a lie, they did. But they said that with Black History Month, they went and did a presentation with the older children in the school and showed an ex-drug dealer who had changed his life around in some sort of documentary. And, you know, uh, this, you know it's, it's an area where you'd think they were clued up as to how to make children feel apart, every child. But obviously that wasn't the case. So if she was in an environment like that, of course she's not gonna wanna, you know, celebrate who she is. Even though at home we're telling her, look, you're beautiful, you're this, you're that. But she was still feeling like she wasn't worth, worth much really. I can't believe that was their idea of celebrating Black History Month. It literally just blows my mind. And like, I really feel for mm. you and your daughter because I, feel like a lot of what you're saying I can really attest to as well kind of thinking about my experience at school growing up because you because because you're such a minority you just kind of accept that's the norm and those sort of attitudes towards you compared to the other girls it kind of just sticks with you for like it does basically your whole childhood but I think what you've done in terms of not just taking her out of the environment but creating a whole platform where she feels truly representative and you're doing the same thing for so many other like young black girls and boys it's just incredible how's your daughter's self-esteem changed since you launched coco girl her journey is absolutely incredible for me it's just seen her confidence um the way that she now designs hairstyles for her hair 
the way that she notices when there's not representation on a program she's watching or a book she's reading, the way that she writes her own books. She's just so much more confident. And this has not just had an effect on Faith, the magazine, it's had an effect on my four-year-old son who is just mesmerised with any woman who has an afro. Or if his sister washes her hair, it's like, I love your hair, Faith. Oh, Faith, look. Oh, Faith, look at this hairstyle. Faith, you love this. He just loves afro hair. And the reason why I'm so blown away with by my son is because when I was growing up, the person that made me didn't make me like my hair was my brother because he would always tease me when I'd wash it. When it shrunk, it would be like, oh my gosh, look at that, and really just make me feel ugly. Um, so, and you know, it's not, I don't feel that's his fault. I feel that was the environment he was in at the time. And when you look at his wife, she has different hair to me. So it's, it's quite strange, just, you know, the way that our environments are and how these influences follow us through our adult life if that makes sense exactly and I think especially this our generation now are in a really good position to kind of cut stop the cycle and build a completely different foundation for our children I also wanted to ask you before you started the magazine but also now as well what are your thoughts on representation of black hair in the media it's funny um I watched a documentary not too long ago um, on a certain channel and I thought "Mm, they could have done more with that documentary. They could have used this person, that person. And I just feel sometimes there are not enough people behind the camera directing that are telling our narrative or our stories or, you know, I feel as if they are trying to have more representation but they're using the wrong people to tell the story, if that makes sense. And sometimes they are getting it wrong. Um, So for instance, I'll say this, my daughter was recently actually in a show which spoke about her not seeing herself in the shops or not being able to find a doll. You know, you'd have to go onto Amazon or somewhere to get the doll it's not there really accessible in the shops it was quite a serious um talk that she was doing with her and her friends and this show put it in a comedy show which then it just didn't work so when I watched the whole thing together I was really disappointed and I just feel the right person wasn't there directing producing or whatever so they're trying to represent us in a lot more ways But I still feel that we need to be behind the camera, actually directing it ourselves. Stop waiting for other people to give us the opportunity. There's so much synergy between Michelle, Lekia and Selena's stories. They all make the point of how important it is for us to take ownership of what we want to see in the world in order to change the narrative around black hair and improve representation. I also find it interesting that their daughters are such a huge inspiration for their work and trying to ensure that they don't have the same experiences that they had now that they are growing up. And by doing this, they're changing the future for so many black kids and all kids as well. We have to give these women their flowers and continue to support the work that they're doing as change makers.
Someone else who is a change maker in this space is Zena Alpha. Zena is an entrepreneur and anti-hair discrimination activist. She has an app called UB Hair, which matches people to hairdressers and barbers based on their hair type. Her passion for this cause stems from the hair discrimination that she faced at school and a desire to protect Afro hair for future generations of black girls and boys. This is the story of why she started a petition to ban the discrimination against Afro hair in the UK. My friend's a police officer and he uh, obviously knew what I was doing with the app and he said to me that he, there was a problem. You know, he's a white um, gay man and he said to me, Zena, there's, there's a massive issue going on. Lots of uh, young black girls are being suspended and excluded from school and I like, don't understand why because they're actually the highest achievers. And I was like, hmm, that's weird. So he went to go and do some more research and found out that the reason why they're getting excluded um, was because they had their hair in braids or like they had their hair in its natural form. And I was obviously disgusted by it. And like, I'm the kind of person where if I see something wrong, I say it. Yeah, I, like I was like, this can't continue. And so after having that experience myself, at school, so when I was 12, the same thing happened. Like my, I had my hair in braids and my teacher was like, that's disgusting, that's not school policy. Um, you know, you, take your, you need to take those braids out. And obviously I was really upset and I didn't get braids again until when I went to Nigeria, which was two years ago, three years ago. But I think I'd like kind of turned that pain into purpose. So where I think we've all had that kind of experience, negative experience around our, surrounding our hair. I kind of wanted to just be a bit more, poli not political, but at least protect us in some way or form, because we're never protected and there's never, you know, every, every aspect of us is politicized and um, policed and there's always, always you're this, you're that, whatever. And like, why can't we just exist? <laughs> why can't we just be? And every single time we're not even allowed to do that. And you know, these are young kids. <laughs> um, you know, when you start really young and you don't even realize the effect it has up until your, like, your later years. And so, yeah, that was the reason why. I was just so outraged by it. I just thought, no, I've got to do something about this. And then, yeah, started the petition. And um, yeah, that's that was the kind of catalyst. For, I think that was the the real kind of push for me to, to do it. But I do think the work that you're doing and a few other women that we're talking to is going to hopefully help to really stop that for the next generation of kids that are yeah. like growing up. So talk to me about the Halo Collective. When obviously I started the petition and I'd spoken to like some of the other people like Lekia and, and so forth about the thing like obviously wanting to kind of create a lot more awareness, not just young black women, I think all and um, people, black people with curly and Afro textured hair. They obviously were like super happy and Dove approached me and said that they really liked what I was doing and um, they wanted to work with me to kind of um, make this change because at the time when that had happened, I started the petition and then literally like maybe like two or three months later, 
Crown Act happened in New York, I think it was the first one. I spoke with the people that did that and just kind of asked them what their kind of path was to getting this legislation done. I spoke with Dawn Butler at the time because she was shadow women secretary and yeah, went into like House of Parliament and you know, just was really pushing to obviously try and get this um, over the line. And then, um, yeah, Dove were like, we really want to help you with this. We want to um, help amplify this and help it get over the line. And um, we sat and had a bit of a, a round table where we did different initiatives and different things that we could do. And one of the things that came up was the Halo Code and well, the Halo Collective, which um, was actually a, a young, a group of young girls um, between the ages of 15 to 17 and one of the things that comes up quite a lot in schools is obviously hair and so with alongside with them we created the halo code we just want to protect our people and create a safe space i think for you know for us to exist amazing i know you're campaigning for the crown act to be part of the the equalities act in the uk Obviously, it's been passed in the US, but how has that journey been trying to get this legislation passed in the UK? Yeah, it's been quite challenging. I've been doing this for two years now and like it's still not even got to 100,000. Oh, the petition. So the petition has to get to 100,000 for them to even discuss it in Parliament. Yeah, for them to even discuss it in Parliament. And we're very close. We're like on like 98, I think, or something. But it's still taken this long for people to actually just sit and listen and and actually realise that this is a major issue. I think that one of the things that has been particularly challenging is just lack of visibility and lack of, um, yeah, amplification for this. Like, I'm, and I don't want to be the only person that's doing this, you know? I, I, like, I want it to be a collective thing. I want everyone to be like, right, no, this is an issue that really affects us and it's it's such a huge part of our community and such a huge part of us and our identity and 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 history why are not more people talking about it i want to hear all the stories i want to hear all the stories i want to hear and see um everyone's reports i want to see young people fighting against it i don't know if you saw the school in pimlico a couple of months ago who when the teachers tried to induct those kind of rules against Afro hair, everyone was like, no. And they all just stood up. I want to see more of that. If more and more people start to see it, bit by bit, it will change. But I think there's still a really long way to go. The good thing is, is that more people are getting educated. I think like COVID has really helped in some way. And, you know, every leader who talks about this or every podcast or every conversation that you have is the beginning and the foundation of, like, that change being made. The more noise we make, it's the more awareness that you bring. We ha- we need authorities and institutions and businesses to also get that message. I'm using Product Embrace to to like heal the world of racism because you know if we can make people realize that the deep inside narrative is actually down to racism that we can make people recognize racism when people recognize racism i think that's in half the battle one i really believe it's possible 
I don't want this next generation to feel they have to change who they are and actually putting them themselves, their health at risk. But I want them to love who they are. I want them to not be ashamed of who they are and then to be these incredible leaders that inspire the next generation behind them. We are going to dominate, we're going to smash this and like the world is going to change and it's going to be run by black women. Yeah, mark my words, mark my words, the world will be run by black women and the world will be a better place when that happens. I don't know if we'll fully be able to see that but I think like just starting this now and starting this, um, building the foundations of generational legacy is we're just going to completely change, like the world is going to change. We're going to change the world, baby! Wow. What can I say, man? I mean, this journey has been truly transformational for me. I mean, anyone that knows me knows that. Ever since I've cut my hair, there's just been a shift in my attitude. I mean, it's funny because as I was growing up, the only images I saw of black women were ones that had dead straight hair. And because of this, I thought that's what I needed to look like. And now I've shed this idea that straight hair is good hair by literally cutting off my hair. And it's with the work that Michelle, Lekia and Selena and Zena are doing. If I do ever have kids in the future, I hope, and I'm pretty certain that they will never go through what I experience as bouncy, beautiful Afro hair will be the norm. My whole entire attitude towards my hair has changed, but I think this has mainly been down to what I've learned throughout this podcast. I think for us black people, knowledge is power, and not only is our history often overlooked, but when it comes to our health, we're really not put at the forefront and we're often not aware of the damage that certain things that we use without thinking can actually have on our health. Listen, we as black people have been conditioned to think that we're not good enough, that our hair isn't good enough, that we're inferior, especially us black women. But we have the power to take back control of our own narrative because all hair is good hair and positive representation of black hair, black people and black stories can help change perceptions and therefore the experiences that we have in our day-to-day -day lives, not just for us, but for future generations to come. But we can't do this alone. Although I think we should try to be the change that we want to see in the world, as black people, it can be exhausting. So we really need the support of our non-black allies to help us change this narrative. And if there's one kind of call to action that you want to share with the audience, what would it be? Whether that be to go and sign a petition or something else, what would that be? Oh, okay, I've got three. Go for it. <laughs> number okay, one. Okay, so number one will be would be sign the petition. And how can people sure. um, find that? I on my Instagram, um, it's Z at Zena Alpha. I have a link in my bio, and yeah, sign it, and because that will start the conversation, right? And number two is obviously get educated and start chatting about it. Have those conversations. Get it into the open, get it into the open. Because I, I find that like in this country, a lot of the time we 
are very kind of like closed off. We never really talk about issues. And as a result, we end up having, it ends up being way worse. And then the third one is rhetoric. So the way in which we talk about Afro hair, instead of calling it like coily or kinky or like um, people have used, the, I, don't, I really hate that word, nappy, like, you know, all of these things. Like, I, I, I hate the word kinky, I really do. It actually ag aggravates me because like my hair's not kinky and like all the connotations that are associated with that is aggressive. But if we change the way in which we talk about our hair, so with really positive affirmations, so it's delicate, it's bouncy, it's fluffy, you know, it grows like a tree. I'm sorry, tree gives life. You know, we're trying, we're rushing to plant trees right now. Like, when we talk about our hair, we talk about it from a, a, we find new ways to describe our hair instead of using such derogatory terms. Sina has also created a halo toolkit for people out there who want to educate themselves further or give themselves a bit more confidence in their natural hair. You can find this by searching My Hair, My Crown on the Dove UK website. And if you want to get a copy of Coco Girl magazine, you can get that at cocogirl.com or at selected Sainsbury stores, Asda, Morrison's, Tesco and W8 Smith. World Afro Day is on the 15th of September every year. And you can find out more information and resources on worldafroday.com. Similarly, you can find out more information about Project Embrace at projectembrace.com. It's so important that we support each other and continue the fight to end the discrimination against Afro hair. And just remember, the more we make noise, the brighter we shine. Thank you for listening to Coiled. Coiled is hosted and produced by me, Leanne Ali. The assistant producer is Sylvie Carlos. The theme music and closing music was composed by Oni Iroha. That's it for season one. I can't believe we got here. Like, honestly, I had this idea like a year ago that I wanted to make a podcast. I thought it might be about hair. Had no idea that I was gonna cut my hair and go on this insane journey. And I think part of the best thing about it is how many connections I've made along the way, how many friendships, how much support and sisterhood is out there. And I really just set out to make something that my younger self so my 10 year old self that wanted to relax her hair so bad maybe she would have listened to something like this and changed her mind so I think I've done that so I'm very proud of that and I hope other young girls and boys can do the same thing so please do share this podcast with the younger sibling cousin, friend or anyone that you think needs to hear this so that we can empower the next generation to embrace and love their afro hair because all hair is good hair so we're going to go away for a while, but um, until I see you all next time, make sure you still subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. And you can find us on Instagram at Coiled Podcast so you never miss an update. You can also use the hashtag Coiled Podcast on Twitter 
to let us know your thoughts on the episode and the series so far. So even though this series is done for now, let's keep the conversation going. And I'll see you next time.